Welcome to the Teachers as Leaders podcast. It's been a while since we met last. Since then, we've had Thanksgiving. I managed a professional learning conference in December for 600 educators in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Christmas happened, and then after Christmas, I did my annual music show to raise money for the Four Diamonds Fund. This year, we were fortunate enough to raise $16,192 to help support families whose children are being treated for cancer at the Hershey Children's Hospital. If you're moved and you'd like to donate to the cause, the donor drive is in the show notes. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Teachers as Leaders podcast, where we'll explore how teachers take on leadership roles in schools. I'm Todd Bedard, and throughout this season, we'll interview teacher leaders, discuss building culture, and promoting student learning in schools. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to part two of the series on failure. In this episode, we're going to look at failure and success from the student perspective. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Deb Lawler, to interview one of her former players, Danielle Sr. Danielle is a junior lacrosse player at Drexel and recently gave a TED Talk at TEDx Lebeau called Perspective. It's posted in the show notes. We talked to Danielle about her perspective on education and failure. I made our favorite quote from her talk into a printable poster that is also downloadable in the show notes. Later on in the podcast, I interview two of my high school students about failure. Both are high-achieving, college-bound seniors with contrasting views of what failure is. It is important that we as educators understand the perspective of the students that we teach. As an educator, I understand that failure is part of the process, but often struggle with the idea that I still have to assign a score. I talk to my students about how they prepared for assessments and the effort that they put into growth. That's how I handle failures and redos. What are some ways you handle this? Send me a tweet at TB2Boys or leave me a message in the Flipgrid and let me know how you handle failures and redos in your classroom. Welcome to Teachers as Leaders. Joining us today on the podcast is Danielle Sr. She's a junior at Drexel University, where she's a defender on the women's lacrosse team. In high school, in addition to lacrosse, she played basketball. She's majoring in business and engineering. On November 13th of 2019, Danielle was one of four speakers selected to do TEDx LeBeau, giving her talk called Perspective. With me co-hosting today in the second part of our series on failure is Deb Lawler, one of my heroes in education. And she's going to tell you a little bit more about Danielle because she had the opportunity to coach Danielle throughout her high school career. So introducing Deb Lawler. Thanks, Todd. It's so great to be on another podcast with you, and thank you for the invite. I am honored to speak about Danielle. I was her lacrosse coach at Gwinnett Mercy Academy High School. I also coached her uh, years before that at the youth level and enjoyed every moment. And when I found out that Danielle was coming to Gwinnett, I was very excited and um, every moment of that, she definitely fulfilled that excitement and blessed our team to have her as a player. She was captain of cross team her senior year and really proved her leadership skills there. And I'm just really excited to have uh, an opportunity to have another time to work with Danielle and be on this podcast. Thanks, Deb, for being with us. Danielle's TED Talk was amazing to do that at such a young age. I'm going to let Deb start this off talking about that podcast a little bit and the first question is going to be kind of interesting. You might not get it at first. If you get to see Danielle's TED Talk, it is in the show notes. You can take a look at it. It's 10 minutes of wonderful, wonderful talks. So, Deb, I'm going to turn it over to you. Great. So my question, Danielle, to start this off after I watched the TED Talk was, when you walk into Wawa, what goes through your mind now with the choices that you make? Because I will tell you, after listening to your TED Talk, it has changed my choices. I don't know if I'm 100% bought in because I do need that caffeine in the morning, 
but at the very least, it gives me perspective of some of the things that I am able to do that others can't. So what does your day look like now walking into Wawa? Well, first of all, thank you both for having me. And as far as Wawa goes with my coffee, I'm not going to lie. I cannot walk into Wawa without questioning that payment of my cup of coffee. And if you listen to my TED Talk, one of the things that I said was that 170 million of us are buying a cup of coffee every single day without questioning that payment. And now I don't count myself as one of the 170 million because I cannot buy it without thinking about the influences that that money could have in someone else's life. I have the same feeling when I walk walk into Wawa now and I owe it to you. It really does give you an opportunity to think about all the gifts that we have and we can bless others by, by giving more from ourselves. I just wanted to also let you know that Mrs. Fasano is the one that sent me the link of your TED Talk. I received it just before going into my Health 12 classroom. And when I walked in, I said, listen, folks, the lesson is on hold. So as I'm doing that, I'm logging in and I pull up the link for your TED Talk. And I say, everybody, we're going to watch this. It was so wonderful to see that for the first time with other people and hear them as well, people that are closer to your age than I am. And some of the questions were like, how old is she? And how do you know her? Wow, that is really cool. And then, of course, they made a joke of it. I think Todd would understand this because... Um, recently, I had my students do a podcast and they were like, wow, and we're only doing podcasts. How do we get to do something that big? And I said, well, to have passion and to have drive. So with that said, how did you get selected and what does that process look like to get on the stage? Actually, at the end of the summer, it's quite ironic because I was telling one of my best friends after I had written something, I had actually written a short little thing about essentially what I talked about in my TED Talk. So I told her, I was like, I'm going to give a TED Talk at some point. Quote me now. And then I was actually walking around in the business school. It was only one of the first two weeks of the school year. And on the events board, I saw that there was an application for a TED event being held at Drexel and applications were due in two days. So normally I would have been like, oh my goodness timeline is too soon I don't have time to do this but I think things ended up working out perfectly because considering that I had already had it written over the summer I was able just to create a short little version of what my speech would look like from there and then essentially the next steps were Drexel faculty went through and read all of the applications and speeches and voted on who the four participants would be and I can't even begin to describe how excited I was when I got the email with congratulations in the subject line. That is tremendous. And just the just the mere fact that you caught that days before that you didn't miss that opportunity. That was probably meant to be. And, and we're blessed that that worked out. One of my favorite pieces towards the end takeaway for me was when you said education is a voice, a voice is influence, influence is power, power to stand for something larger than yourself and larger than the barriers that held you that hold you down in your community. Did you come up with that? Is that like a statement from your heart? Have you heard something similar from someone else? What empowered you to create that? So that actually was something that I thought of myself and was my absolute favorite line of what I said, because I believe that it has so much truth. My parents growing up had always told my siblings and myself that Education is where we were going to form our character, the schools we were going to go to, how hard we were going to work. It would kind of lead to where we were going to go. And I feel that I was so blessed to be given the opportunities in my education that I was. And Gwened truly taught me never to take that for granted. Education 
is a voice and when you listen to the impacts that education could have and the places it could take people it's so powerful and I believe that that statement really does hold so much truth because when you give people the ability to learn new things and extend where they can take their professional careers the sky is honestly the limit for them there agree Danielle, that quote's so great. I'm going to print that and frame that and put that in our school if that's okay with you. Oh my goodness, thank you. And I will credit you with that and we'll find you on Twitter and and make sure that people know who you are because for somebody your age to just come up with something that profound, I'm just blown away by what an individual you must be. Thank you so much. That means so much. Absolutely. You wrote this speech and you said, I want to make this TED Talk. Before I jump into the second segment, I just want to ask some questions with that. When did you decide you wanted to do a TED Talk? Did you do it in high school when you got to college? Was it just when you wrote this speech and everything kind of happened and and aligned? Or or when, when did you decide you wanted to give a TED Talk? So honestly, I've always just loved public speaking and I'm always looking for opportunities to myself out of my comfort zone. And I believe that a TED Talk is the perfect opportunity to do that. It's the chance to tell your own personal story but in a way that makes it connect to everyone else as well and it wasn't even so much that I had thought oh I'm gonna do a TED talk but literally one day I just felt I don't know what it was I must have listened to a TED talk or something and felt so inspired but I was like one day I'm gonna do this I don't know what I'm gonna talk about yet but I'm gonna do it and everything kind of just ended up aligning for me at the end of the summer and I couldn't be more grateful for that well if the first one's any indicator I think that's gonna be the first of several TED talks that you'll give in your life I hope so So moving into the next section, then um, your talk was about changing perspective. And that's such an important piece to think about. Um, We're we're kind of doing this series on failure and and what failure looks like and how can people recover from failure or even learn how to fail because it's such an integral part of the learning process. And sometimes a simple change in perspective is understanding that your original viewpoints might be different now. And as you mentioned in your talk, it's something we should all do. In high school, what caused you to change your perspective and to look at the world from like the thousand foot view? Was it recovery from a setback in sport or was there something else caused you to think about perspective in such a way? As Coach Lawler mentioned that Mrs. Fasano had sent her my talk and that she immediately wanted to listen to it right away. I have to tell you that it was those people at Gwinnett that ingrained this perspective in me, just walking through those halls every single day being taught by the nuns, being a service-oriented school. Never once could you walk down those halls and take for granted what you had. You were always reminded that you had to be grateful for what you did have because there were so many other people in the world that didn't have those same opportunities. They didn't have the ability to experience a lot of the things that we were blessed to experience on a daily basis. And my parents and my family, I come from a very big family, so we've always believed that you have to be so grateful in what you have because one day you never know if you'll have that same thing, so you can never take it for granted. And as far as setbacks go, and I absolutely believe that sports teach you so much about life that you can't learn from anywhere else. Being an athlete, most of us grow up playing sports ever since we're young, and it's honestly one of the first places where you really have to um, learn how to work hard for what you want. best way to bounce back and learn how to bounce back is from experiencing failure, getting cut from a team for the first time, from feeling the experiences of a loss, from a bad performance. All of these things mold your character, I and mean, it shows you what you're truly passionate about and how hard you're willing to work to get it. That's a great perspective on sports. I mean, I just, when I watch these high school programs and even the club sports programs, I'm so thankful when I see coaches that get the whole idea that like most of us aren't going to make a dollar playing our sports, but we are going to have to use our sports in life. and, And it sounds like you're doing that. 
Absolutely. I believe that every day you go and your goal is to push yourself as hard as you can and you really learn how to fail and not only accepting failure, but it shows you how much you truly are capable of by having once not experiencing it and then pushing yourself to get there. Well, to do the talk, you chose courage over comfort, the courage it takes to walk on stage and and be uncomfortable versus just sitting in the audience and listening to others speak. Have you always been that way? And and then if you could just take me through the self-talk that you you used to get to that, to summon that courage to get on stage, to do something like a TED Talk or to get out there and play in front of a bunch of people in a big game that the result isn't already predetermined. To be completely honest, my sophomore year of high school, if you had asked me to get up and give a presentation in front of my class, I would have dreaded it. I would have dreaded every second. And then my junior year of high school, I had a teacher named Mr. Hopkins who's still at Gwynedd. And one of our main assignments of the year was to give a 15 minute presentation. Um, And every time you looked at your PowerPoint slide, you were only allowed to look at it twice. And every time thereafter, you'd lose five points off your grade. It was some crazy number like that. But I remember I was so determined not to look at it once. I just completely memorized my whole entire presentation. I had no idea that I could even do that. And then after giving that presentation, it kind of showed me what I'm capable of. And I had sudden love for public speaking because I had no idea that I could even do that before. Actually at Drexel, we have a sports psychologist who comes and talks to us. And one of our main topics that we always focus on is confidence and failure and specifically the fear of failure and the impacts that it can have on you. One of the things that we always try to talk about especially as athletes, is understanding what fuels you and why you're performing the way you are. And every day, each of us go to practice. For example, this is relevant in everyday life. Wherever you go, whether it be practice or not, you go. And the goal is to be better, achieve more, sprint faster, push each other harder. And we're all aware of this fire, and it fuels the motivation that makes us do what we do each day. But we can't forget the subconscious factors that fuel this fire too, which is the avoidance of failure. And it's so important to be aware of this second so-called why, because when you can accept this failure, instead of letting it fuel you in a negative way, it can begin to have positive impacts on the way you're performing or the outcomes of whatever situation you're in. And when we become open to this failure, we can learn to accept it and use that as a momentum that pushes us to work harder. Once you become open to it and you do fail, it means you've pushed yourself past your limits and the next time you try, that's not going to be your limit anymore. And our subconscious mental mindset and the so-called self-talk that we're talking about changes from somewhere along the lines of don't mess up, don't do it wrong, don't screw up, to instead a positive place of knowing what it takes to do it and the desire to replicate those feelings of success and those movements or actions that gave you that success in the first place. And honestly, all it takes is for you to acknowledge the fact that maybe failure is subconsciously driving you in some way and just framing it in your mind in a positive light and changing it to an area of confidence where it's, I know that I can do it and I've failed before, which means I know what it takes to get past that failure and just driving that to give you confidence instead of emotions of stress or worry. Danielle, that what you just said, I am so glad that we're taping it. It was so well-spoken. It's so who you are. And it's the person that I've seen grow from a ninth grade athlete to a senior captain. And I wish more people emulated exactly what you just said on the field. That was tremendous. I do have one deeper question for you after listening to that. Let's take it from a coach's perspective. You mentioned a lot of things in your life from school 
to family and hopefully the experiences in your, in your in all of your education about learning that people can teach you to push to your limits. You talked about your teacher who made you profoundly work towards not looking at that board, but look at the outcome. So I guess my question is, the people in our lives can really be part of our destiny and push us to those limits to become better humans, better service people, drive to a career that fits us best. So with that said, I want to take it to a coach's lens because in my mind my my philosophy of, of coaching is to tell student athletes you're going to make mistakes sometimes you're just mistakes not mistakes if you can hear that on, a, on an audio meaning that sometimes you do it it's just a mess up and learning from that is the part that is really going to help you grow once you just really defined so elegantly. At the end I'm just hoping that there's people that continue to be in the world of the learners and help them to still become people that become you and learn from those mistakes, but take away what teachers and coaches really push you to, to get out of that being un being comfortable, being uncomfortable type of feeling. I love how you said that that psychiatrist comes in um, and really works with giving that understanding and changing that mentality. But I can't, I can't see many people being so successful with it. And for that takeaway, listening to you define that, I think athletes need to hear what you just said. And on the other side, people like me, coaches really need to continue to drive that into athletes, drive that as a teacher into their students to say, this can be achievable. Just continue to work, continue to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, reflect, and then move on. And maybe one day you'll be on a TED stage for sure. But you empowered me. That, I feel, as a teacher right now, is going to put me into the classroom to be a better teacher, knowing that, you know what, I might need to do something a little more challenging for my students. Because listening to what that teacher did for you, I don't know if I would have ever done that. And I think I would have been a little lenient and given them, okay, five times. But he really held fast to that. And the product is just fantastic. And I love that. So I, I actually um, want to thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And I think it's interesting that you do mention, I believe that there is a fine line between from the coach's standpoint and the educator standpoint for wanting your students and your players to be able to accept failure without pushing them so hard that they do come to fear it. And when I was growing up, my parents would always tell me, the day you need to be worried is when your coaches stop yelling at you and they stop pushing you. And you can't look at that in a negative way because it just shows that they know what you are capable of. And I think as coaches and educators, it is so important to know your students and to know your players in order to push them to the level where not only are they failing, but you know that they're failing with the ability to achieve. And Coach Lawler, I will never forget, I think it must have been junior year of high school. We were doing the sprint, the diagonals, and jog the sidelines. And I was sprinting a diagonal, and you said, senior, I know you can sprint faster than that. And in the moment, I was like, gosh, she's right. Like, I don't want to sprint any faster, but knowing your players and pushing them to achieve what you know they can achieve is the only way they're really going to get there. And as educators and coaches, you can't be afraid to push them so hard and make them fear the failure if you know that they're capable of also gaining the success. I need to add one more thing to that because again, you just triggered something in my mind. Todd and I were just at a conference and we had this wonderful keynote. His name's Tom Murray. And he mentioned in his keynote address, very similar to what you just said, knowing your student, 
or knowing your athlete is going to allow your relationship to grow. And again, the end product to be that much stronger. And sometimes it only takes 30 extra seconds in your day to get to know that student or that athlete a little bit more so that if you can sprint a little faster, it's because we've established that relationship and I want to push you to your higher limits and we're gonna do this together. So thank you for saying that, it's awesome. I couldn't agree more. You know, it's interesting too with, with that, what you're talking about too is, is all of this stuff that we do, you know, the athletic performances, the musical performances, the speaking, we could lose the ability to do it tomorrow but we'll never lose our hearts and our minds. And that's why as coaches and teachers and, and even athletes, you know, your relationships with us matter to us as much as our relationships with you matter to you. So it's, it's just so important to keep that going because father time catches up and we won't be able to perform at the level we can now, but we'll always have our hearts in our minds. So Danielle, recently you had told me that you had torn your ACL uh, last season and uh, having been an athlete myself and, and kind of remembering going through injuries, having your sport taken away, that must have been difficult time. Um, can you talk about how you kind of recovered? Because in a sense, it's a failure, even though you, you didn't do it, you know, nobody goes out and says, hey, can't wait to get hurt today, but it's just a side effect of, of what we do. Can you talk about how you kind of recovered from that, how you were resilient with that and, and had the courage to, to take the steps to return to the field? Yeah, absolutely. So some of you may not know, but an ACL recovery usually is about 12 months long. And mentally and physically, it's very tough. You have to be resilient in ways that you never could have possibly imagined that you'd have to. I believe that as we talk about perspective before, it's so incredibly important in any injury, not only this type, just to maintain a positive outlook on everything. Because what this taught me in the past year was I thought that I knew how to fail and how to bounce back, but I've never experienced before a failure where I once had succeeded at this thing and suddenly now I couldn't do it. So once you tear your ACL, you go through physical therapy, you have to relearn how to walk. And I never thought that I would be at physical therapy at age 20 and someone would be saying, all right, left foot in front of right foot relearning how to jump, everything that all the athletes you didn't even have to second guess on how to do growing up. So when we talk about perspective, as far as injuries and failing and never taking anything for granted, this kind of really hits right at home because I never once thought that I would have to have the perspective of, okay, yes, I knew how to do this yesterday, but I need to accept the fact that I can't do it today and take everything day by day and not let the failure overwhelm you because if you let it overwhelm you, you're not gonna be able to get better in all these little aspects. I honestly can do some of the things better now than I could before. So when I was failing, thinking, oh, I once could do these things and now I can't, I just had to be patient and you just have to accept once again, accept the failure and try and think of it positively because the more I waited, like I said, it was 12 months, it's a long time and it was so mentally tough, but every month I could see how it was worth it and the places that I was gonna go if I just accepted the failure every day and used that to motivate me to get back to where I was before. From that, I learned how much I loved what I missed because I always knew I loved the sport of lacrosse, but I learned that I loved it so much more when suddenly I didn't have it. And if you look at that injury and think, this could be a career ender, I can't believe this happened to me and instead think of the positives that come from it. I now learned how much I loved something when it was taken away from me and how hard I was willing to work to get that back. 
Well, thanks, Danielle, for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, schedule here over the holiday break to talk about this, such an important topic to get out. And I know that when we get this out there and send it out to the world that you're going to help a lot of people. Can't wait to see how you grow as a person after you graduate. I know you're going to do great things. So please stay in touch with us. We will definitely stay in touch talk to you again. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, both of you. This is such a topic that I believe can help so many people. And I think it's great that you guys are taking the time to do a series on failure. You're now going to hear from two of my high school students, Ashley and Rohan. They both have contrasting views on what they feel failure in school is. You'll hear from Ashley first as she talks about her views on failure and success. And then you'll hear from Rohan and he'll talk about how his views on failure and success have evolved over the course of his high school career. So enjoy these interviews. Joining me on the Teachers as Leaders podcast is one of my students, Ashley. She is a 12th grader here at the high school that I teach, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her future plans. My future plans are to go to a college and get a four-year bachelor's degree in business, um, more specifically marketing, and end up marketing for a company after college. So Ashley, as we talk about success and failure, that's what this series is about. I first want to start with success. Can you kind of tell us what you define success in school as? I define success in school as if I take a test and get 100% on it and learn from it, I define that as success and just trying my best and knowing that I accomplished that at least and can walk away with that. Thank you. How about success in life? Like five years from now, what would you consider success in life? Um, in five years, I think success for me would be having a steady job and working towards a goal of buying a house and simply just being happy with where I'm at and proud of where I've come from and how far I've gone. You talked a little bit about success, meaning getting 100 on a test. So would you classify yourself as a grade chaser? And if so, do you consider that perfectionism? And would you classify yourself as somebody who strives to be perfect in everything that you do? When it comes to school, I definitely define myself as a perfectionist. Um, I'm mostly going after grades to get into a good college. When looking at what classes to sign up for, I searched up what classes I needed to take to get a degree in business. And I based off my high school courses off of that. So let's shift the focus now to failure. And what might you define failure when you're in school? Uh, what happens to you that you might feel like a failure? What does that look like in your world? Failure in school to me is when I don't understand a topic and I perform poorly on tests and quizzes and homework assignments just because I'm not understanding it. That's when I feel like a failure. And no matter how hard I try, I'm just not understanding it for some reason. Is there ever anything in that where you can say, you know what, this is just good enough. I'm not going to be able to get the A. I'm not going to be able to get 100, but this is my best effort and this is good enough. Do you ever get in that headspace? Um, yes, I do. I have strengths in different subject areas. I have strengths in history and art and English, but I'm not the best at math and science. So I'll try my best and try to get an A. But if I don't, then I cut myself some slack because I know it's just not my thing. 
You talked about feeling like a failure if you don't get a good grade in something. So what's the self-talk that you take yourself through to kind of overcome that? Like, what do you say to yourself? I'm trying to kind of get a picture inside your mind so that if any of the young people are listening to this, they can equate some of your self-talk to theirs in terms of learning how to overcome even minor failures. I'm very close with my mom. And one thing that she always tells me is that I tried my best because she understands me more than anyone. And so she knows how I feel whenever I don't do something to my standards. And she just tells me that, you know, you did your best, you tried your best, you did all that you could, now let it go because there's nothing else you can do. Awesome. Thank you for that advice. And I'm sure that will help a lot of young people out there. So last question, Ashley, as you know, as an educator, I'm always trying to get better I'm always trying to look at different ways to help students learn and see if I can help my students discover things that maybe they didn't know before. In terms of failure and supporting kids in failure, what advice would you have for me as an educator or educators in general that we could help kids kind of find that growth mindset that allows them to be okay with failure as the process and not necessarily failure as the grade? I would say to just be patient with students. I know with me, I need more help in the math and science areas. And I've had, I have had teachers that work well with me. And when I work well with a teacher, I work, I do well in the class. So I think just being patient and being honest and open with them and willing to help with whatever students need, I think it really helps students try to be more successful and look at failure through different eyes. Ashley, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us here on the Teachers as Leaders podcast. I really appreciate your insights and your willingness to put yourself out there and answer these questions about maybe an uncomfortable topic of failure. We're looking at trying to help people and educators grow with this topic. It is an important topic in today's world. So thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us and good luck in your future plans. Please let us know what you end up with. And when you're running your Fortune 500 company someday, don't forget the little people here in small town Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much, Mr. Bedard. And I'll definitely keep you updated. And thank you. Some of the Teachers as Leaders podcast here interviewing high school students about failure in the second part of our three-part series on failure. With me is one of my students from the high school that I teach, Rohan. Uh, He is a senior at the school that I teach, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what his future plans are. Rohan, tell us a little bit about what you're headed into in your future. Okay. Hi, my name is Rohan. I'm a senior and I'm hoping to pursue business administration. And I haven't heard back from any colleges yet, but my dream school is UPenn. So that's where I hope to attend next year. Nice. And what will, what kind of job would you be looking for when you get out of school or haven't you thought that far ahead yet? I haven't thought with a lot of the specifics, I haven't thought it out, but generally with business administration majors, I'd have to work my way up a ladder, but eventually I'd hope to be at the head of a company that I believe in their message. Nice. Well, we're here talking about failure. We're talking about failure with uh, students, with adults, and uh, I've just been kind of fascinated by this whole idea for the last four or five years. I've noticed a lot more kids coming into school thinking that learning is about grades and grades or lack thereof would be failure if you don't get a full-fledged hundred or don't get an A in a class that somehow we are failures. And we're going to talk about that at some point, but uh, before we do that, let's talk about success. What do you define as success in school, Rohan? So I have my definition of success has probably changed over the course of my high school career. I was definitely like a grade chaser 
freshman, sophomore year, just because that's the environment that we grow up in as students in this day and age. But uh, as the courses get harder and it's, it becomes harder and harder to just get like unrealistically good grades, I sort of redefine success as something where I myself feel fulfilled and happy with the amount of work that I put in and the result that I'm getting. So it's like a little more touch and go now because of this new definition. But like, if I feel like I put in all of the hard work and I feel like the result reflects that, then I consider that to be a success. That's a real growth mindset that you don't see very often in schools nowadays. What led you to redefine that? Was it the frustration of not getting hundreds? Was it some kind of event that happened? How did you end up down the pathway of redefining what success looks like in school? It was kind of just that I knew that if I wanted to get into a good college, I'd have to push myself in terms of my course load. And so I I ended up, I think, probably biting off more than I can chew my junior year. And so when my grades started to drop, even though I felt like they shouldn't be, I sort of realized that it was having a negative effect on my own mental health and my own health in general. So I had sat down with myself and it took a, a good while, but I sort of had to tell myself that I wasn't really working for my grades. I was kind of relying on my whatever natural academic learning ability I had. And so I sort of had to change my mindset completely for junior year and senior year uh, to say, I'm only going to focus on the work that I'm putting in and the results that come will hopefully just be a reflection of whatever work I put in. Roland, I was going to ask you about how you define success in life, but it sounds like you have a pretty good handle on that with, with your rechanneling of what success looks like. Is there anything to add? Do you have a different definition of what success in life will look like, like five years from now? Or is it generally the, uh, the hard work philosophy that you just talked about? Yeah, I think generally it's the hard work philosophy, but if I was to add one thing, it no long-term sacrifices of happiness because I get into the habit of sometimes like if I want to start like really grinding out on something, I tend to throw away like mental health or, you know, just being happy for a long time. And, you know, sometimes you just have to like sit down and, and do the grunge work, but I want to make it effort to not let that take over my life for an extended period of time. All right. Well, let's go to failure now. How do you define failure in school? What does that look like? We did talk a little bit about grade chasing, and and I think that is one way of looking at failure. But maybe in addition to grade chasing, what would you look at in terms of definition of failure in school or uh, in life or any of the, you know, maybe it's crossover definition like the other one was? I think my definition of failure for school and maybe even life is to go into a situation knowing you could have put in more effort in some section of prepping it. My example would be a physics test that I I had probably down in the first marking period to like the beginning of the school year. I sort of brushed it off because I thought it was all review and I didn't really study for it. And I ended up getting a good, like not a great grade. It was like a B plus, but it was a hard class. And generally I would have been happy with that, except that in the back of my mind, I knew, okay, I didn't really study for this. And so really my sense of failure comes from thinking, oh, maybe I could have done more. And uh, leaving things on the table is something that I really don't like doing. So, Well, moving into that failure and that feeling of failure, what kind of self-talk do you use? Kind of take us through into your mind, if you will, and talk to us about what kind of self-talk you use to get yourself through something like that because we all make mistakes i mean human nature is we are fallible people i don't know anyone that doesn't make mistakes daily so talk to me a little bit about the self-talk that you used maybe that physics test example and how you forgave yourself and got over it and and moved forward for me, it's just about avoiding excuses afterwards. So like you said, with the growth mindset, I just, I'm thinking, okay, I didn't put in as much work as I should have for this. And so immediately 
I kind of skip over the why it happened and I go straight to, okay, so for this next test, I want to start studying three days in advance and I'm going to do at least 20 minutes every day, three days before the test. So I set it in stone beforehand and I kind of just try to take that failure and extract whatever lessons I can from it right away and sort of just try to put those into action as quick as possible so they become more of a habit for me and I don't keep doing the same thing. And when you set that in stone, do you put that like in a calendar in your phone? Do you have, uh, do you just remember because the feeling of failure is so strong? You hear kids all the time talk about, oh, I'm going to study three days in advance. And, and then their friends call and they're like, oh, wait, wait what test? Uh, you know, yeah. So talk to, right. do you, do you use a calendar or do you use a list or how do you, how do you remember, make sure you have the discipline to do that? Right. So I have a small notebook where I write down kind of like a to-do checkbox list of everything that I have to do. And what I start doing, especially like when I'm trying to commit myself to doing that is one of my checkboxes will study for physics 20 to 30 minutes. And then I'll write down the pages that I want to be reviewing for that. So I have to like physically check it off for that day or else it doesn't get done. And then I have that visual reminder there to make sure that I, I actually do it. Awesome. Thanks for that advice. And hopefully any of the kids out there uh, looking for a system, maybe that will help them. Well, before we wrap up here, Rohan, I'd just like to say thanks again for being a part of this podcast. I'm putting this out there for teachers and educators all over the world to listen to and, and hope to get better. Uh, as you know, I always strive to get better and keep considerate a work in progress every day that we come to school. So I appreciate you being on with us. And one thing I'd like to wrap up with is it is important for us to be okay with failure, teachers. What advice would you give educators on how we can support you as a student from your experience now as a student and even in the formative years that we can support you in your growth and that ability to find that growth mindset and maybe steer away from the idea of grade chasing? Because mental health is so important nowadays and, and it is something that we're seeing more and more in school problems. So what, what advice would you give educators on how we can help kids learn to fail and get through that kind of thing? Well, I think an important thing to remember, obviously, for students is that the teachers have to like put in some kind of grade, You generally based on our, the way our high schools work. But for teachers, I think it definitely just comes down to communication with the students and putting a little more emphasis, like just regular in class, about teaching time management skills and redefining that definition of success and failure for students. Because like I was lucky enough to be able to change it myself, but I know some students to this day who are seniors still haven't really been able to get out of that grade chasing loop. And then the other thing would be going to an earlier stage in a child's development. If we were to start teaching growth mindset and a different definition of success and failure, say from like third grade onwards, when which is surprising to say third grade is when some kids start focusing on grades. But if we can teach it from an age that early, I think that kids will grow up with a much healthier relationship to their grades and also a different perspective on hard work. Thank you very much. Do you think that in some cases, you know, I'm thinking right now, like, wow, I could do a lesson in this and teaching growth mindset. But if every teacher, every period, every day you had class taught growth mindset, wouldn't that become redundant? Do you see it as everyone's job? And do you see it as lessons? Or do you see it as more of a, we should in be inclusive with the growth mindset in everything we do and more of a reminders philosophy? Like, hey, don't forget, it's not about the end result. It's about the process. Yeah, I definitely think it it doesn't function as smoothly if every single teacher is trying to incorporate growth mindset into directly into their curriculum. 
I do think that teaching the growth mindset would probably be best done in a manner where it's not necessarily a class, but maybe we give it to like a homeroom or we give it to one one subject teacher and they spend just like a week or they do like maybe once a week or they do a week where they teach it and they teach kids how to implement it into their lives. So it's like a one-time lesson and then maybe there's some check-ins here and there. But I think, yeah, more more so like in high school, by that time, teaching the growth mindset definitely has less of an effect because kids are almost a little bit set in their ways. So I think in high school, that reminders philosophy where teachers are just being passively encouraging where they're, you know, like they'll throw it in, if you just throw it in every once in a while in class saying, so, you know, remember, you can get what you get on your test. But if you put it, if you're putting in the hard work, give yourself credit for that. I think that goes a long way, even though it's really just a couple of sentences. Well, Ron, thanks so much for spending a little time with us here on the Teachers as Leaders podcast. I appreciate your insights and your answers. And I wish you much success in the world. It sounds to me like with your ability to reflect, redefine who you are um, as you go, uh, I can only see great things for you. And when you're running that Fortune 500 company someday, uh, don't forget the little people here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I won't. Thank you for having me on your podcast. This was fun. Next time on Teachers as Leaders, it will be the third and final installment of our series on failure, where we talk to elementary school teachers who are teaching growth mindset and failure in the elementary schools. Looking forward to seeing you really soon on the Teachers as Leaders podcast. As always, do not hesitate to reach out and send us some feedback. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Teachers as Leaders. If you have any feedback about this episode or other episodes, please drop me a line. You can email me at tbidard2 at gmail. The email address is in the show notes. Or you can tweet me at tb2boys, also in the show notes. and Let me know what your thoughts are about this episode or any past episodes. If you have ideas for guests about future episodes, also email me or send me a tweet. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Teachers as Leaders.